0: This is the Black and Gold Rat Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the show. It is championship week. We've got a loaded show for you here this week. Jeff Sharon here along with you. Eric's taking the week off. That boy Drew is in the house, the master of the non sequitur. The uh, the college football hipster himself, uh, Andrew is here. Those are the only two I can remember. I need to write these down somewhere. So I, can... I think
1: you should forget them. And no, forget
0: they ever existed. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Le- Le- yes, yes, <laughs> the Leroy Jenkins of UCF Twitter <laughs> Mafia. We got a lot to talk about here, Drew. Um, Kyle's going to join us later to talk hoops. Uh, Bryce is going to join us even later than that to talk volleyball, but. First and foremost, we got a lot of football to talk. Obviously, UCF hanging on by their fingernails against South Florida in a game that I thought encapsulated perfectly why it's a rivalry game, uh, because the records just don't matter. These two teams just take it personally all the time. Uh, and But UCF's 46-39 victory over South Florida. Alec Holler's incredible catch means that the Knights will indeed play for the American Athletic Conference Championship. It will be four o'clock on Saturday. UCF at Tulane. Tulane going into Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati, beating the Bearcats in a uh, winner-take-the-hosting-honors game, Drew. And uh, that was the first time that Actually, Tulane had won in Nippert Stadium in Cincinnati since their undefeated season in 1998 with Tommy Bowden and Sean King. Uh, and Tulane right now is a four-point favorite over UCF. Uh, a lot of questions coming in. Uh, what's the status of John Rice Plumley, who obviously got hurt in the South Florida game? I think that it was in no small part um, a factor in South Florida's comeback. Um, But again, you know, Mikey Keene again with the with the incredible save. Uh, But here we are. We we still have some questions coming into this week. Um, But where does it stand right now for UCF as they head into their third conference championship game uh, in school history?
2: Uh,
1: Well, in American history. uh,
0: Uh, Sure. In American Athletic Conference school history. Yeah, uh, and going by the way, going for their fifth American Championship,
1: right? Since you know, twenty fifteen was the first year of the conference championship game. Before that, it was just based on standings, and they had, of course, the three way tie in twenty fourteen. Uh, so they all they all get credit there. Everyone everyone gets a trophy. You you know, it's like an Oprah Winfrey show. Uh, so <laughs> you know, you know, kind of putting a bow uh, on the the USF game, you know, I've always said the same thing you believe. You know, when it comes to rivalry games, records go out the window. You might as well both be zero and zero because weird things happen.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we saw and, it last year. And last year was so much, was such a dud of a game that ESPN decided not to have that game as locked in to Black Friday going in. Obviously, there were three American games buying for one Black Friday spot. Went to Cincinnati Tulane, which turned out to be the right move, uh, was a fantastic game. Great, you know, Cincinnati's down to their backup quarterback, uh, but you know, Tulane wins, hosts the conference championship game. Uh, great story, uh, from from New Orleans uh, on the on that camp, you know, new, new team rising up, especially one that's hold, being a held, uh, you know, staying in the American Athletic Conference. So, obviously, uh Members schools that are sticking around would like to see Tulane win, but you know UCF coming in there. Uh, you you talk about with you know the divine intervention that was the Al Collar touchdown catch because as as we saw that you zoom in real carefully. Not to mention the Javon not,
0: not to mention the Jayvon Baker catch too. Ah, he's been doing that stuff all
1: year though. I mean we we <laughs> <laughs> I. The timing was perfect, but but let's be honest, Javon Baker's been making catches like that all year. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just that's him, and thankfully he's he's got another year uh, of required being in college before he can make a break to the NFL. So you know, I expect him to be around next year to to continue the the good vibes. Uh, but it just goes to show how talent the skill position is. You know, in, in between, you know, the receiving core and even down to the tight ends, I mean, this is a really talented bunch. I mean, yeah. The the transfer portal, you know, giveth and taketh away, and in more cases than not for UCF, it has has been in the giveth category, especially on offense. Uh, between you know Kobe Hudson and Javon Baker, uh, this is a scary good, you know, group of receivers. You know, the fact that. I haven't even mentioned Ryan O'Keefe, who is the holdover. Just shows how good they are. It, it, at that point, you, you know you're building towards the future, but you know the future is now. Uh, some people were kind of punting on next year, you know, towards next year before the season even started. Uh, you and I both believe that was the incorrect way of thinking. Right. There, this season still had to go on. And look, lo and behold, there's a combo berth on the line. Uh, you know, this actually has worked out rather well
0: yeah and the giant paycheck too not to mention the uh you know there's just a lot of storylines at play here I think the most interesting one to me is the fact that you have a departing team playing a remaining team in in this game and just a couple of little interesting historic notes I was able to dig up this Uh, has happened
1: before in UCF's history
0: uh yes but uh, a win uh, obviously would give UCF its fifth AAC title in 10 seasons in the league. This is Tulane's first AAC championship appearance. They haven't won a conference of any kind since 1998. Uh, the home team, Drew, is six and one all time in the AAC championship. The only road team ever to win was Temple, who went into uh, Annapolis and beat Navy in 2015. Um, interestingly enough. Um, this is also the fourth time that the championship has been a rematch of a regular season game. UCF won two of the previous three over Memphis in 17 and 18. Now, 17, both those games were at UCF. 18, they were split between Memphis and UCF, the, the locations of those games. 2019 memphis also played cincinnati twice that was back-to-back weeks at the liberty bowl this would be the first time that uh if ucf is able to pull this off it would be the first time that the road team will have won both would have won both meetings in the course of one season that's never happened in the in the history of the conference uh and uh yeah so uh there's a lot of storylines at play though i think i i A couple, a couple ones that I want to emphasize, first of all, home team is six and one. All right. Um, Big advantage being at home for this game. Number two, Tulane still troublesome in the, uh, in the run game. I was looking at the numbers from uh, for the season now that we're through and, you know, credit to Willie Fritz coach, the year in the conference name this past week, but uh, this team, uh, his team is still rather average against the run in terms of defense, uh, seventh in the conference, 74th in FBS and UCF took advantage of that. I remember John Rice Plumlee set the school record for rushing yards by a quarterback in the first 10 minutes of the first game. Uh, this is a team that defends the pass. Well, they're 13th in the country and first in the American passing yards allowed per game. Uh, first in the American in, Points per game allowed, nineteen point eight, second in the conference in total yards per game allowed, but they can still be had on the ground. No,
1: oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, this is the best situation for UCF to be, in all things consider, since you know, obviously hosting wasn't an op, you know an option at this point uh, to play Tulane versus Cincinnati for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. One is obviously what's on the field. And two, what's actually off the field. You're you're talking going to New Orleans versus Cincinnati. Different weather conditions, different stadium situation. Uh, Tulane doesn't get as much attendance. It's easier for UCF fans to get to because, as we know, conference controls the ticket sales and all that jazz. We've seen it before. There's
0: there's been some. uh, There's
1: been some questions. Let me be very clear. This is not Tulane withholding. This is not UCF not selling out their allotment. Both sides of that argument are wrong. This is what the mm-hmm. American has done in previous years. They let tickets go in waves. They did this when UCF hosted. They let it go in waves. It's a, it's just it creates scarcity and inventory control. It's good marketing on their part, but this is not a case of oh too late lied to us blah 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 or oh UCF you, your fans can't buy out the whole lot. No no. This is the American fully at work here. They've done this before. They'll do it again. And, and they did perfect. it for us before. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's a benefit to the home team. Uh, they want the home team to be able to to reap the benefit. Okay, fair, because they've earned that shot. They've earned it.
0: Yeah. Also, uh, but, also a very also it looks better to have a full stadium on TV than a yeah. Than a, I mean, you ever seen the Mac Championship in Detroit? There's nobody there.
1: No, because I don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the truth is, uh, this is what the American does. Uh, this is nothing new. Uh, both sides just need to chill out. Just you know, calm down. I know everyone's getting a little amped up for the game, uh, but you know, this is going to be an exciting game. Uh, UCF in a in a prime opportunity. They're, they can have lots of fans there. Uh, their team is built offensively to win this game. They're mm-hmm. a run first team. Tulane is not a run first defense team, as you've already you know
0: mentioned. No, the they they, question- they In fact, they struggled against the run even just as recently as last week. Cincinnati ran for 235 yards in total and three touchdowns as a team on. 43 carries. Rarely do you see a team rush the ball for 43, 43 times and lose it home.
1: Well, it's it's more of a fact of we know what you are, you know. Try to try to beat us with your weaknesses. And yeah. and you know, I think actually if if Ben Bryant was playing, I I'm convinced Since I would have won that game. It was a toss-up game at the end. It yeah. was very close. Uh, you know, Since yeah, I mean, Evan did not have a
0: very good game. No. So, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh so Let's flip the script to UCF. The real question is the status of John Rice Plumbing, like you mentioned. Uh, We've heard day-to-day, quote-unquote, which, you know, UCF likes, you know, they're going to play it coy, you know. But the truth is, as as, uh, Gus Malzahn mentioned in the post-game, you know, interviews, that Plumley's been kind of dinged up for a while. He's been beat up for
0: a while. So, uh, in fact, let's go. I want to go ahead and play Gus uh, talking about JRP right now.
3: I and mean, we're going to let him play. Um, you know, he hadn't been 100 for a while. You know, and uh, he's just a tough guy. But this is a championship game, and I know he'll be ready to go.
1: All right, as as you heard, you know, there there's a lot going on with with, with John Rice Plumley, uh, his status day to day. He's been dealing with injuries. Has a, a hammy issue that if you remember watching the game, he pulled, he got kind of pulled lame, scoring that second rushing touchdown. Yep. And it affected him after that. He tried throwing the ball, he couldn't plan. Uh, it just it wasn't working. So, you know, that's why he was pulled out at, at halftime, replaced with Mikey Keen. Uh, you know, you got to, with see, the game see,
0: seemingly in hand,
1: it was, it was, uh, it was looked pretty, pretty much in the books by then uh, i was 28 7 at halftime and, and then the the wheels just fell off oh uh, murphy's law kind of latched on and what anything that could go wrong did go wrong but you know what that's in the past they've moved on they survived they survive, survive in out. advance
0: yeah survive in advance that's <laughs> right survive
1: in advance so now it's about making sure he's healthy enough to play uh as malzahn has said uh, the guy the guy's a baller he'll go out even with beat up, and he just wants to play. He wanted to play in the second half last week. Uh, coaching staffs wisely held him out, uh, but if he's gonna, if he can go, he's gonna go, and, and that's gonna matter because with with the rushing defense or lack thereof of Tulane, they got to now deal with an extra running back in the backfield, and that's that's dangerous. i mean, yeah. you saw him carve apart Tulane before. In fact, the big touchdown that he ran against USF. Was the same big touchdown play? Same exact scheme. Same exact, not even just scheme. Same exact play. I mean, it it was the same play, same result. So I mean, hey, you know what? Do it again. See if they're paying attention. You know, you know, people sometimes complain. Oh, they ran the same play. Well, it's because you didn't stop it the first
0: time. So you know what? Run it again. Run it again. You know uh, it again. Some, some more. Some more sound. I wanted to drop in here. uh Here's Willie Fritz, the head coach of Tulane, talking about the game.
2: What's going to be one thing that you need, want to change from the first meeting to this meeting that you think can make a difference in the game? From watching the film af- of the first meeting, what's one thing that has to change for your team to be successful?
3: Well, you know, we got to do a better job at the quarterback run. You know, they, you, you got to play eleven on eleven football against Gus's team and. and uh you know, we we got to do a better job playing the quarterback. We, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't do a great job of that. And then we didn't play great offensively early in the ball game as well. You know, we, we got to play consistently throughout all four quarters. So those are a couple of things.
0: All right. So that was Willie Fritz, head coach of Tulane. Also uh, we heard from Mike Oresco, the commissioner of the American, this is UCF's final go round in the American in terms of football. Obviously we still have a spring to go, but uh, here's Aresco uh, talking about this final championship game with uh, UCF as a participant.
3: Commissioner, just curious, how big of an impact is uh, Tulane appearing in the championship? How good a look is it for you guys as you kind of
2: retool and reboot as a conference uh, that they've made the run that they have? That means something, Kyle, and it's, it's encouraging also because, you know, again, as I said, we've had a lot of teams in this conference uh, compete. Uh, pretty seriously over the years, you know, we the, the focus was on the three teams leaving, but let's be, let's, uh, you know, Temple had great years under Matt rule in this conference and went to our championship game, won it, you know, one year. Uh, almost beat Notre Dame in one of the, you know, what would have been one of the most stunning upsets. You know, we had uh, obviously great seasons out of Memphis. That Memphis UCF rivalry was incredible for a number of years. USF, UCF, that game they played on Black Friday several years ago might have been one of the best college football games ever played. You know, we've, we've had all these teams step up. So the fact that we now have Tulane is great. Um, you know, I'm not rooting for either team. You know, this is UCF has been a great addition to our conference. Uh, we're thrilled, obviously, for Tulane as well. But it does show, I think, uh, Kyle, the depth of the conference. And uh, also, you know, we've had committed administrators, you know, uh, hats off, you know, to, uh, to Troy and at Tulane and also to Terry Mahajer and before him, Danny White at UCF. And, you know, um, you know, uh, Alexander Cartwright and Mike Fitz, the two presidents, they've really committed. And this league has had a commitment. And I think we're going to get a commitment from the new members as well. So uh, I hope the DNA continues because it's been real. Uh, people have competed at the highest level. does mean a lot that you, you have a team like Tulane, but if Cincinnati had won, I'd have, I'd have been happy for them. I mean, Luke has been a great – he's been great for our conference. Cincinnati has been great for our conference, and had they won a hard-fought game, then uh, they'd be playing UCF, uh, and uh, that would be, that'd be great also. But, uh, no, we're, uh, we're excited about what the future might hold for this conference, even though it's going to be different. There's no question, no argument there.
0: So uh, that was Mike Oresco, commissioner of the American Drew. As you mentioned, the winner uh, is going to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, no correct. other conference champion. Uh, it looks as though is going to be ranked or at least ranked ahead of the winner of this game. Tulane is 18. UCF is 22. Should UCF win, I imagine they would climb. Uh, Postal's not ranked. They lost. They may have had a chance, I think, if they won this past week, but they didn't. Um, they got absolutely boat raced by James Madison, by the way. Um, yeah. So the winner goes to the Cotton modest. Bowl. Uh, and uh, well, here's the question, though. Let's let's talk real quick about which opponent UCF might see. There's uh, obviously it's bowl prediction season. Everyone's out there, including us, uh, with some good bowl predictions. Um, some intriguing matchups being thrown around for whichever representative of the American goes to the Cotton Bowl. Who are you seeing? Who do you think it's going to be if UCF gets through?
1: Well, it's, it's going to be one of two teams, uh, and and we'll quickly break down. So, if, if you kind of go with the chalk uh, results, everyone who's supposed to win wins. UCF would play Penn State, and the reason why is Ohio State would end up in the Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. and then you would have Alabama in the Sugar.
0: Michigan, obviously, in the playoffs.
1: Okay. Michigan in the playoffs, Georgia in the playoffs, TCU and USC.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you would have uh, Washington would, would – uh, would be kind of that odd man out you'd have uh Oregon as your as your Rose Bowl you would have you know, Alabama and the Sugar as the next highest SEC team then Tennessee in the Orange which would leave Penn State in the Cotton however and that's where and that's where 99% of of the the bowl predictions including ours are going because that's the logical way of looking at it and even uh you know, even if Ohio State somehow slips in, you know, mm-hmm. you can make maybe case that, oh, maybe USC would end up in the in the con, which you know, I guess is a real outside third chance. I, I don't think it's overly likely, but how so the other intriguing matchup is the Tennessee Volunteers.
0: I would argue that's the most intriguing matchup for fairly obvious reasons. Well, yeah,
1: The story writes itself. So let's let's break this down.
0: Uh, Josh Heupel against his old team.
1: Let's break this in how this happens and why there's actually a legitimate chance of this happening. All right. So the Rose Bowl is not required to take the highest finishing Big Ten team that's not the champion. Michigan wins, they're the champion. They're not required to take the next team. And the reason why is as long as uh, they're within a, a reasonable margin, Ohio State fifth, Penn State eighth. They can actually go for Penn State. Penn State hasn't been there since what, 2016, 2017 range, somewhere around there. Uh, so Ohio State was there just last year and they've been there a few times in recent years. So there is a leaning towards Penn State as a new opponent, which would mean you'd have to shuffle the bowl line a little bit. Alabama will still being the sugar because of their contract. However, mm-hmm. The Orange Bowl has the option of the SEC, the Big Ten, or Notre Dame, and it breaks down to in their contract they have three years exclusivity for each of those conferences, Big uh, Big Ten, SEC. So they can flip the script and take Ohio State instead of Tennessee, which would hmm. bump Tennessee down to the Cotton Bowl, and and then That'd they be, would be you know the opponent for UCF, which you know look what happened last year. Oh, that would Gasparilla. be so much fun. You know, That'd
0: be so much fun.
1: I always tell people, oh man, pre-Christmas bowl games is like a consolation prize. It's not really what you want. However, last year was kind of an exception because of the story around it. It just kind of fell in their laps. Uh this is kind of, you know, this you sell a story more than anything else. You know, Josh Heupel versus former team. You know, the upstart versus, you know, a blue blood program that has made its triumphant return to relevancy. I mean, this is, this is actually a very compelling story, way more so than UCF versus Penn State.
0: Oh, I agree. I agree. I mean, even though UCF, UCF and Penn State have played before.
1: There's no real story there though. There's no story.
0: I mean, Uh, rematch of the game in Ireland. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) And that one ended up, of course, on a game-winning field goal by Penn State. But
0: yeah. Not to mention you know, the game that UCF won in Happy Valley the year before, too, in 2013. So
1: Right. And you know, I, I was in Happy Valley in 2002 when UCF waited That game until, was not as
0: close. <laughs> no, uh, that, that
1: game was was a field goal. Uh, at one point, you could hear a pin drop in Happy Valley. But the problem was UCF waited too long to realize that the forward pass was a legal thing and couldn't catch up in time. Uh, <laughs> but But here's the thing, you know, Penn State played in the cotton bowl just a few years ago against Memphis. So, I mean, they've been there. Uh, I don't recall. They beat Memphis
0: in that game too, right? They did. Yeah. Uh,
1: Tennessee has not been to the cotton bowl in the uh, CFP era. So, I mean, there's also that newness factor there. Uh, The fact that this is their first, you know, season back in top caliber relevancy Uh, would would spur fan interest and i I know i know a lot probably do not want to play ucf because you know ucf is you know at least for this year is the token g5 school Uh, but there's a story involved and i think you can you can create something with that
0: it's funny how they kind of look at look at the g5 champ in these bowl games as kind of like a live landmine you know (laughs) it'd be careful yes it's yeah and understandably so Uh, The other bit I think that that could bode in Tennessee's favor is they're probably going to get better travel than Penn state. I mean, that's a long trip from, from, you know, happy Valley, Western Pennsylvania down to down to Dallas. And I think, you know, the Tennessee fans would be willing to make much more willing to make that trip uh, than the Penn state fans. That's, that's, that's my opinion. I,
1: well, I mean, there's, there are a big enough fan base that they can travel enough, but I mean, you're talking about Jerry world. Uh, in Arlington, Texas, big stadium. Yeah, uh, you know, and you know, UCF's going to send their fans there. You know, they they it's it's not as close as Atlanta, but it's not Phoenix. Yeah, uh, so I mean, there's there's opportunity to have a really good turnout. But as you know, the truth is, it's about eyeballs, and I think they're going to get eyeballs no matter who goes.
0: Speaking of college football bowl games. Yeah, and this is made official just before we started this show. Uh the Rose Bowl which you mentioned uh has been the s- traditional stick in the mud uh no pun intended for college football playoff expansion. Uh we've heard time and time again this is you know wasn't going to happen the move to 12 teams until at least 2026. Lo and behold, it's happening in 2024. Uh, Pete Thamel was the per- first to report this, but the CFP made it official today, Thursday, December the first, that the college football playoff will expand to twelve uh, in uh, in the final two seasons of the contract, twenty twenty four, and twenty twenty five. In twenty twenty four, the first round of the playoff will take place the week ending Saturday, December twenty first, at either the home field of the higher seeded team or at another site decided designated by the higher seeded school. Uh, for top four teams get buys, of course. Specific game days will be announced later. For 2024, the quarterfinals and semis will be played in bowls on a rotating basis and 2025, of course. Uh, 24, the quarters will be at the Fiesta Peach, Rose, and Sugar. Cotton and Orange will host the semis. 25, the quarters will be at the Cotton, Orange, Rose, and Sugar, while the Fiesta and Peach host the semifinals. Interesting that the Rose Bowl won't have a semifinal those two years. Just uh, the way the rotation worked out. Right. Uh, National Championship games will be played January 20th, 2025, and January 19th, 2026 in Atlanta and Miami, respectively. Uh, this means that a $450 more million dollars will be into the hands of the CFP. It means that UCF may very well have another couple of, uh, some extra opportunities to make the playoff as they go into the big 12. Uh, it'll be easier for them. It would be easier for them, obviously, than being in the, being in the American, but uh, during, we've said this for years, actually for almost a century now, the one thing that's prevented us, if you had to point to it, the biggest thing that's prevented us from having a true playoff, in Division One FBS college football has been the Rose Bowl. They've had their contract with the Big Ten and the Pac-12 for years, Every, all the time. Even up until the BCS era, they were the stick in the mud that would say, "Nope, we're not gonna we're not gonna change our contract because we're in the Rose Bowl." Finally, that's over with. The presidents told the ads, "Knock it off, figure it out." And they did. And there were reports of, I guess, what we call an, uh, an ultimatum, a deadline for the Rose Bowl to figure, to figure out what they want to do or possibly get left behind. And they decided to hop on board.
1: I, they tried multiple things. They tried to get various accommodations. Everything got shot down. It got to the point. Of, <clears throat> you said ultimatum. It's exactly what it was. You do it our way, or you don't do it at all. Is what the the yeah. CFP eventually said. And hop
0: on board or get left behind. Yeah, and and eventually the Rose Bowl people realized
1: this is the future. Uh, either be a part of the future or get left behind in the past. Yeah. More and, importantly, and
0: and it, yeah. More importantly, I think what it comes down to is they realize that they are not as important as they once were, or maybe think they are.
1: Well, at this point, the it, the need of them is being eliminated. They don't need the Rose Bowl. Say you know, hypothetically speaking, the Rose Bowl punted and passed. There are plenty of options of mm-hmm. of games that that they talk about. They reportedly about,
0: the Citrus Bowl was one of them.
1: Citrus Bowl was one. uh The quest formerly the Outback Bowl, was another in Tampa. Formerly
0: the Hall of Fame Bowl. Everyone yeah, it,
1: go way way back. uh Then mm-hmm. they also talked about doing something in SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles. Basically, thumbing their nose. Uh-huh. At, at the Rose Bowl by just putting something else in SoCal, Create, creating
0: creating uh, so, creating a new bowl game in a, in in, nice in Los Angeles brand new stadium. I yep. it, it kind of sold
1: itself. So you know it's good that the Rose Bowl decided to stick around. It's a, it's a it's a mainstay tradition. Uh, obviously, the Rose Parade does not lead to the game necessarily anymore. And you know what? The Rose Parade can stand on its own. It's 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 a special event out on its own. It doesn't need the game attached to it that day so i I think it's going to be an adjustment you know especially for those traditionalists but you know what this is better for everyone involved this is a win-win it's you know there's revenues that are going to come to the bowl games there is opportunity for all schools And, and i know a lot of people are like oh well this is only going to help the sec or whatever you know what i challenged them Give it 10 years. Mm-hmm. You're good with the with the transfer portal, the way it is, with yeah. the free transfer in place. And now you have a guaranteed opportunity, a real opportunity. Not this, it's an opportunity on paper. No, it's a real opportunity. You finish as one of the top six conference champions. So if you're the if you can, you know, run the table, be that sixth champion, any school in FBS can get into the playoffs. You know, they they have a legit opportunity now that they haven't had before, and it's going to take time. It's going to take time, but you know what? Players are going to start realizing, you know what? I want to win a championship, and, and I want to be on the field doing it, and riding the bench at Blue Chip U isn't what I want to do, but if I go to Eastern Michigan, I still have a shot. I can we can have our Cinderella run. The 2017 UCF squad would have a legitimate shot at a national championship in the CFP. Mm-hmm. You know, they have a legitimate shot at a consensus national title, which back then they did not. So right. uh, I, I, I challenge those who, who who don't believe this is a good thing. Give it 10 years. Yeah. You'll see some schools pop up here and there and they'll have the Cinderella run, but you know what they'll get to settle it on the field. And that's something that we've, been lacking in fbs football for over a century
0: and it'll give us like these i think some really fun irregular matchups you know that we that we won't see very often um and we get to really determine which you know who the who the best team in the country is at long last um i think it's fun i think it's good for college football and let's not diminish the fact that ucf played a part in making this happen. It was the Knights who in 2017 said the emperor had no clothes. The college football playoff is not a definitive, it is not the definitive ne- de- determinant of the national championship. It is merely a determinant of a national championship because how could it be totally determinative if we go undefeated and we don't get in it? And now we have as close to that. Now I still, Drew, you're going to laugh. I still feel like you know, the perfect playoff is one that has every conference champion in it, but six out of 10, or maybe nine, if the PAC 12 goes away, ain't bad. Um, Yeah. I, I just, this is a great day, a great moment for the sport of college football. I think it will dramatically improve the quality of the play and we'll finally get to settle these debates on the field mm-hmm. after a hundred and 40 years of this will finally settle it as it should be on that 100 by on that 120 by 53 in the third yard patch of grass. And that's, that's, yeah, yeah, I can't ask for any, you can't ask for anything more than that. Um, yeah. And no matter and want, where you go.
1: And I want to add something real quick and I, I, it never, it never gets brought up, but I think it actually plays a very important role to, you know, you talk about 2017 UCM
2: mm-hmm.
1: running the table. And then, you know, running running wild with national championship, and you know there's four people that that forget that are are not remembered, but they are heroes to this too because they actually played a, a a legitimate role. Four people in the AP poll ranked UCF first. Yep. So you know that that also shows, as you said, the emperor really had no clothes on. Uh, they also stood out and said you know what this is wrong Mm. this system is flawed and and it took a while took a while uh but you know we've seen times here and there where it keeps getting proved that you know what the system isn't perfect uh you know any team can win any game on any given day and we need to give opportunity. Yeah, settle it on the field, not in a boardroom. So I I just want to point out that that UCF received four first place votes in the AP poll. And that also needs to be recognized because those guys are heroes too in the grand scheme of opening uh, FBS football to everybody.
0: Yep, it's at long last. Uh, 2024, man, I'll tell you, never thought I'd see the day. Never thought I'd see the day where, you know, think about, how tremendous that that is going to be where in the in the C in the 2024 season, we're going to see obviously UCF in the big 12 starting next year. Uh, and that means uh, and a 12 team playoff. And by the way, an additional detail just dropped from Brett McMurphy. I want to thank Bryce and Turner for passing this along in the new 12 team playoff. The top four ranked conference champions will receive a first round bye. So that's oh, yeah. baked it- into the system so that means no and that's by design and, and that's by design and mcmurphy's being being a little coy here so that but he says so that means yes uconn parentheses and notre dame close parentheses would never be able to get a first round by
1: and i like to point out that this was actually the plan the plan that's passed was the plan that was designed yeah. by those conference commissioners and those backroom deals going on for that and jack swarbrick Athletic director of Notre Dame was part of it. He knew what he was signing on for with this whole conference championship thing, uh, and he was okay with it. Yeah, you know, it mm-hmm. eventually became the need of the many, and there may be a possibility that this kind of leans towards Notre Dame finally making a move.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but we'll see on that. Uh, that but something. they they do have enough confidence. Of course, they,
0: you c- you can, could argue the other way that like you know. If if that means that they're stuck in the first round, then um then South Bend gets a playoff game.
1: Only if they're the the top echelon, you know. Only like, if they're
0: five through eight, but still.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah if they're if they're nine through twelve, uh, obviously they have to go in the road. But uh, that that also speaks to their confidence in themselves as far as as a program. I mean, it's Notre Dame. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can make it on our merit. You know, without having to win a conference title, sure,
0: sure. Why not? All right, we've done it well, before. Yeah. Well, that's uh it's it's tremendous news. It's good for UCF, uh, it's good for college football. But first things first, that football game. Dave Pash is gonna be and Dusty Dvorak are gonna be on the call on Saturday for UCF against Tulane. Uh 4 p.m. kick on ABC. So it'll be on the big network. Um, uh, and like I said, Tulane's a uh Four point favorite at home, despite the fact that UCF leads the overall series 10 to 2. Uh going back to 2000 and uh 2001, I was at that game. Four, yeah, that was a game <laughs> in the superdome. That was, that was uh, my first
1: UCF game that was, was the, that game. that was
0: the that was Alex Haynes scoring four touchdowns in the Superdome that day.
1: Yeah, I I remember it was yeah, you know, not many people there. It was a giant cavern. Uh but yeah, that was because of 9-11 pushing back Louisiana Lafayette to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That was my first UCF game uh, as a student at, at the school. Uh, was was at Tulane, which itself was was a trip and a half.
0: Uh, yeah. I for can obvious imagine reasons. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Reading between the lines. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh Yeoman Stadium was open, by the way, in uh two thousand, I forget when that was open, was it? It's
1: pretty new. Uh, Yeoman's pretty new, but it's not a big stadium. It only seats thirty thousand people, right. uh, which is another reason why it plays to UCF's advantage. Is you know one of the things that that UCF struggled with in uh, the game against Eastern Carolina, uh, ECU, uh, was was uh, the fact that momentum and mm. the fans play a role in that. You know when momentum starts swinging to a home team, the fans help maintain it and then rebuild it. You have to, you break through it more than once. Well, UCF scores to open the second half, you know, starts cracking through that, that momentum. And then ECU scores again. It's over. The game was over at that point. Uh, So, you know, the fans play a role. And if you have a smaller stadium, it's harder to establish that momentum.
0: Yeah. Uh, UCF, by the way, two and one in Yeoman all time. So uh, and that goes back to the very first meeting there uh, was in uh, 2015. It was, that was the, the year that, that no, a one, good year. no one shall, that, that was the year that it must not be named. Uh, not a
1: good vintage,
0: but uh, the last two, <laughs> the last two games. Yeah. The two games UCF has won in 2019 and 2022 have been decided by one score 34, 31 and 19 38, 31 uh, last year. So It's going to be close. I think it's going to be this, this is going to be a tight game.
1: Yeah. And, you Uh, know, three points and always go to the home team. So you're talking two lane by one. And it's a pretty pick, pretty pick even game. It really depends on which quarterback goes out there. Yep. It's going to make a big difference.
0: All right. When we get back, get Stat Boy Drew or we'll keep Stat Boy Drew in. We'll get Kyle Nash in here, talk a little hoops. Uh, UCF men's and women's basketball rolling through their non conference schedules. Uh, with winning records so far. Uh, we'll get him and talk a little bit more about volleyball later on with Bryson Turner when we return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We're back after this. All right, we're back here on the Black and Gold At Podcast. Jeff and Drew with you. Kyle Nash is joining us here as well. We're going to talk hoops real quick. Uh, as uh, Well, hey, look, not too bad. Not too bad for both these squads. I'm going to start with the women first, Kyle. Five and mm-hmm. 0, Uh it, it was a little tricky there at that Thanksgiving Classic over the weekend. Got that 79-74 double OT game against Samford. Right. Got that win, but then came back the next day when you think you'd be tired and beat SEMO by 26. They got Sam Houston on Thursday, uh before they go to before they go to Auburn on Saturday. Um, but uh I want to get your, your your thoughts right now and so far how this has gone for coach Messer and her program. Cause they're five and O right now. And you know, granted, you know, they're not exactly playing Yukon every week, but um can't ask for a better start than that.
3: I'll put it this way, Jeff, and, and, and looking for a good, good metaphor for a team that's been hurt a lot and struggling a lot because of it in FSU on the men's side, there is, a good chance that with all the players they are missing with injury, that they could have gone that direction. If coach Messer had not have recruited as well as she has Jeff five and zero with as many injuries as she's had is something impressive. But Kyle, they struggled against Campbell. I, I get it. Sanford was close. Yeah. Those could have just as easily been excused. I-, I-, I could help you with the press conference. Hey, it would have been better if we were full strength. Boom. There you go. Right. I, I, I am. I am very impressed. We have seen it top to bottom on, on how deep this squad is. Even the freshmen are contributing, right? We've had a freshman in the starting lineup and Brianna Hardy get double digits scoring, doing it. I might add. So listen, if you're a UCF fan who is expecting the doom the gloom after uh, everything that had happened with the covered being cleaned out, Rest assured that Satya Messer found the app to order more groceries and has delivered them thoroughly within that group.
0: You know, they picked up right where they left off on defense, almost 21st in the country, averaging, giving up 52.2 a game, Mm -hmm. even though they're scoring 71.6, which is 115th. You know, the defense has been great. They're holding opponents to 31%. Who's been the star? Who's been the catalyst so far?
3: I mean, listen. There's a reason why Destiny Thomas is referred to as old faithful, and she may not have the air quotes personality of a star, but she has done things we haven't seen. I, I, what was it? The I think you. I think we were saying it was 15 and 12 um, that she last mm-hmm. put up. Double doubles happen with Destiny Thomas. 15 points being far, or excuse me, part of it. That is new, and and, and it has started there. And why else, Jeff, are they better able to open the perimeter to shoot the three and score with the three as much as they had? Because teams are forced to concentrate to try and change their destiny by concentrating on Thomas. Oh, boy. And it's not working. Don't you hate, Jeff? I'm still right. Uh, uh, well, five games, three double-doubles
0: for Desto. Uh, she had uh, 12, and we mentioned 12 and 15 against Sanford. 12 and 10 against SEMO. Uh, uh three is six including she was six of eight from the line in that game in semo which i think is probably the, the most encouraging thing to see there so correct uh they've got uh they got sam houston thursday auburn saturday this auburn game is going to be a real test mm-hmm. um what do you not not to take anything away from sam houston obviously what do you want to see them improve this weekend
3: um, listen, turnovers for this group has been a problem overall. I know, uh, coach Messer will want to see that improve. And what I, what I want to see is how this group reacts when they have a team that is capable of being as physical as they are, right? Mm-hmm. You don't just grow destiny Thomas on trees. So I want to see what that looks like. I want to, this will be the game. I think that most tests Coach Messer's approach with positionless basketball because being a jack of all trades gives you an advantage and versatility when you ha- don't have a team that's not ne- necessarily great at one but SEC teams in general have more size right and I'm relating this back a little bit to what we saw from the SEC last year when Arkansas and Tennessee both came to town right these were both uh, teams with size and presence and though that even that team known itself for prize and or excuse me size and presence under coach Abe was challenged right the Arkansas win by a single point on the strength of diamond battle's heroic reverse layup and then the Tennessee game being one that I know coach Abe w- uh, thought that they should have had but mm. Tennessee pulling it out because they had a more complete team effort and were able to contribute points from more places on the floor then UCF who only had diamond battles in that granted that was like the second home game of the season that year but the punchline being that presence i want to see what this group does against it obviously we know desto will be battling this will be um this will be on Taylor Gibson and Brianna Hardy to see what they can really do as new contributors in the post
0: uh, as you,
1: Kyle as you, as you you said you know it's going to be a, a physical physical game Yes. you know, offensive rebound, second chance points, you know, Destiny Thomas, obviously almost five and a half offensive rebounds, a game. And you mentioned yeah. uh, Gibson and Hardy of having to, you know, you know kind of focus on them. Uh, who's your X factor at, at being able to generate those second, second opportunities.
3: Well, that's Brianna Hardy all day and taking nothing from Tay Gibson. She's had her chair of double digit games Um, But overall, I think it starts with that putback ability, that second chance ability. It's a great call out by you, Drew. Um, And when Desto doesn't do it, Brianna Hardy does. It's funny in the game I mentioned earlier, and I forget precisely who the opponent was. I think it was the the, uh, opening home game of the year um, when Tay was out because he had a concussion issue or whatever it was. And Desto was fighting in the paint on the other side, boxing out. Brianna Hardy gets the and one. There were two ladies that came right up to her to celebrate the transfer from Kansas state Rachel Rachel Ranke, and then destiny, just as if not more excited, encouraging Brianna Hardy as well. And that's the kind of stuff you want to see. You want to see the youth step up and the older veteran players supporting her so she can continue to grow in such fashion.
0: Yeah. Uh, interesting enough about uh, Sam Houston. They played Tulane earlier this season on the 20th and got stopped by 39 um auburn played sam houston and beat them by 14 90 to 76 so uh that gives you a little bit to go on uh in terms of you know well maybe the transitive property let's flip over to the men real quick while we got you kyle yeah um coming off the bahama championship uh they get the win over evansville on wednesday 76 56 and We saw a little bit of Darius Johnson that day in preparation for Miami. They had the full compliment out there in what was a, what I thought was a high level college basketball game. UCF didn't come up with the W they lost by two. Uh, CJ Walker had two free throws at the end of the game to tie it. He missed the first one, had to miss the second one on purpose. Um, But, uh, but we saw some, some of the good and some of the bad some of the good for UCF Darius, looked great 9 of 15 24 points he scored 15 in a row at one point uh we saw seven rebounds each from Taylor Hendricks and Brandon Suggs who Suggs I thought played great in that game Absolutely Hendricks, Hendricks had a rough day he was 2 for 9 I thought he missed some, I thought he missed some shots that he that under normal circumstances he would have made um but this team did uh you know despite the fact that they were outshot uh 48 to 45% had a shot to win this game in a very physical game. This was, this was, this was a, this was a, this was a, this was a fight and almost played UM to the draw. Um, I think they look back on this and think Gummit, we should have had this one. Don't you?
3: Well, I think either team that lost this um, would have felt like they, they had a chance to win it. Cause frankly, they, they, they both did. This was quite a fight. And, and you know, you point out the little elements here and there, you know, and, and it all, I think Taylor Hendricks's performance in the game is a bit of a metaphor for, you know, youth and adjustment being the issue, big issue air quotes in this game Mm -hmm. at the end of the day too. I could just as simply, if I'm a fan, look at the three point percentage and see that being the subtle difference that made the difference. But overall it, listen, if I'm, I didn't get a chance to talk to Johnny Walker or uh, after the game or Johnny Walker,
0: maybe you, maybe you did get the chance to talk to johnny walker after the
2: game
3: <laughs> I talked to johnny walker before this damn podcast that's what, no uh johnny dawkins you are um, leaving
0: that in by the way
3: yeah no it, you should it's funny um happy holidays uh <laughs> The uh, Johnny Dawkins would say the same (laughs) thing that jumps off the book to me too. turnovers. I know both teams had 15, but Johnny Dawkins would have thought somebody had some Johnny Walker with 15 turnovers involved. But listen, at the end of the day, there's disappointment there because it's a loss. I get it. But how encouraged are you that DJ Darius Johnson jumps in 24 points? That's a career high folks. And, and, you know, two from five, Two for five from three isn't bad. I think the one thing that might, and I accent might very hard here be a bit critiqued is he only had one assist. But okay, you put in that many points. I'm willing to let it slide. Um, I think you nailed it. Uh, there's a couple moments, you know. Uh Hendrix is two for nine from the field is not a typical performance from him. You will not see that every yeah. night. And look- he looked
0: a little he looked like he was pressing a little bit. He like like he I mean, he did look, I, I don't want to say nervous, but he looked like he was like. He knew this was a big game. You know, he got some good looks and just just kind of just kind of just kind of had the yips a little bit sometimes, you know, some good looks around the hoop. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's I think one of the things one of the things we're gonna see is the chemistry between him and DJ kind of get in sync. And once it does, look out. It's yeah, gonna I, be it's gonna I, be wild.
3: I'm with you. I think he might have been nervous of trying to to not overstep the captain's bounds there and and I'll put this too we would be remiss if we didn't mention Ifiel Horton here because mm-hmm. from my interpretation of what I've seen of him play so far he is a wild card in both a good and, and I don't want to say bad way but in an adverse way let's say he's capable of doing pretty much everything outside of shot blocking cuz you know he's a guard you're not looking for that um on the floor from distance driving and slashing to the hoop to get to the foul line all of it which he did get some, um, uh, or excuse me, he didn't get any free throws. That's that's one thing that jumps off too. also three for nine from the field, one for five from the three. So that's part of that chaos element of his playing there. Listen, if it, I, it, I don't know if his first shot was made or not, but if that was the case and you miss the next two, attack the basket, get to the free throw line. And I think I, I'm pretty sure that Johnny Dawkins might have this conversation with him. Listen, if it's not falling, attack, get to the free throw line. Let's make those points back up.
0: But Dude, dude's built like a middle linebacker too. That's the part that I like about him too. Oh, he, yeah. If he if he if he gets ahead of steam, just get out the way. Uh they have they have Sanford at Sunday at on Sunday at two. Samford, by the way, after a six and zero start has dropped three in a row, uh including they gave up a hundred and three points to DePaul uh mm-hmm. in the last game. But they've but they've lost They lost to Louisiana tech by three Tennessee Southern by two and DePaul by five. So, I mean, close games. Um, This is their fourth uh, or second of five straight road games. Um, Yeah. I mean, uh, and I'll I'll pose to you the same question toward the, about the men that I posted. What do you want to see in this game coming up against Sanford? Because they have this game, then they got a week off before they play Tarleton state at home.
3: And listen, it's it's good. I think uh, Dawkins has himself in a position. Um, in Miami, it would have been nice to have been able to see things you need to build while you're winning. I think Dawkins has made that point. Um, certainly, he made it after the FSU game, you know, where it, it, if you have a win where you feel like you play a little sloppy, you, you can still adjust. And that's a good thing, obviously. Um, I yeah. think Samford may represent that game as well. And what I would want to see is while it's great to have – Adarius Johnson scoring. I want to see if I'm Coach Dawkins, him now get to be more of that team leader to integrate guys, right? To where the Hortons and Hendrixes both feel more comfortable doing what it is that they're going to do. And perhaps they've enjoyed a little too much comfort behind the three-point arc, considering the prowess of. Their front court, uh, Jeff, because you mentioned CJ Walker had a chance at the free throw line to tie it up. Unfortunately, it didn't go the right way. That happens yeah. sometimes when you got a big man shooting. And that is not a slight on CJ Walker. Matter of fact, our our analysis isn't a slight on any of these players. I think they're all very good players in a game that just didn't go their way that night against a Miami team. It's pretty good, you know? Yeah. So oh, I,
0: I think if we had CJ in here, he would be like, you know what? I'm still mad at myself for, for missing those because that's the kind of player he is. Like I, I got I want the ball in my hands. And
3: that's, that's the kind of person he is. And I think if it comes up again, you're gonna see him come up, uh come up big and hit the jackpot in that moment. I'm with you, man.
0: That's what we hope that's what we hope for. So uh UCF against Samford on Sunday on the men's side, chance to go to six and two on the year. UCF women uh trying to keep their undefeated season going. Uh, as they face sam houston on thursday auburn at auburn on saturday uh they are 5-0 in the year the student of the game the sotg on twitter Kyle nash stopping by to join us uh we're, are we go listen are we guys are we all going to get together and watch this game on saturday no well you're not because you're <laughs> well because you're all the way out there but we, we got to figure something out here like you know it's a possibility right
3: I, I, well, I think so. I listen, it's just, I, I've been trying to get together with you for a while, Jeff. No offense, but you're a busy dude.
0: This is, I, I get it. I get it. But look, <laughs> look, you know, the bills got to get, the them bills ain't going to pay themselves. Someone's got to go out there and hunt that mastodon. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, we are going to uh, take a quick break. When we get back, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, some possible offseason coaching moves too with Drew and Bryson Turner is going to join us. Preview UCF volleyball heading into the NCAA tournament. They win the American, uh, or at least to share of the American, and are in Happy Valley to play Penn State when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And we are back after this. We're back on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff and Drew with you and Bryson Turner joining us. But before we get before we dive into volleyball, I wanted to talk about something here. Um we had Two, well, one definite coaching change at the top of the American in football. I know we're going back to football, but I want to talk about this. And one near coaching change in the American. Uh, Luke Fickle is leaving Cincinnati. After he signed that tremendous contract, uh, he is leaving Cincinnati for Wisconsin. Uh, Not Ohio State, where he is an alum. Wisconsin. Um, Willie Fritz reportedly almost left for George left lane for Georgia tech probably based on what we've been hearing. The deal was probably in the bag before Georgia tech started blabbing about it. And then Fritz apparently pulled back and the head coaching job at Georgia tech ended up going to another familiar face for UCF, probably much more familiar than you think. Brent key, the, who was the, uh, obviously, the longtime assistant here under George O'Leary, former Georgia Tech offensive lineman, was their interim coach for the final four games uh, this year. Uh, after the UCF game, where their where their initial coach got fired, he went four and four in those last eight games, and he is now the head coach of Georgia Tech. It's coaching season, Drew, and. This is what, again. This is another case where things just continue to be weird. I, I just I, I'm still surprised at the fickle move, aren't aren't you? Well, uh,
1: I, I'm actually not. To be, to I mean, be honest. you know the
0: Big Ten better than me. I mean, and you've said before, like one of Wisconsin's big problems is. The, reportedly, it's financial, it's,
1: it's financial support. They, they don't they don't support
0: their program as much no, as
1: Wisconsin, certainly as much notorious. as it looks on
0: the outside.
1: Yeah, right? they're notoriously no. I mean, Paul Chris made a huge uh, deal about it, uh, but uh, Wisconsin's known for not really supporting football as much as they
0: should. However, think about this: is 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 that? I mean, like that's what surprises me because like I see like I see them as sort of like knocking on the door of that that upper part of the big 10 pyramid no I'm not saying they're Ohio State or Michigan or or even Penn State but I feel like they're right there with Penn State I mean they have the tradition Barry Alvarez and all that they've won Rose Bowls they I mean are they really like what's going on with that well
1: obviously Ohio State Michigan is your top your top two Wisconsin and Penn State are the next two and it's been like that for a long time here's the thing you know Luke Fickle is a Big Ten guy. Now he, you know he, he, you know that's where he's from. That's what he's grown up. So Ohio State's not getting rid of Ryan Day anytime soon. I mean, there's people say, oh, he can't be Michigan. They're not getting rid of him anytime soon. Uh, Penn State not getting rid of Franklin anytime soon. Harbaugh not leaving Michigan that he that that we know of or that Fickle knows of. So what's the next best option? You go to Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Fourth best school in the in the conference as far as uh, football prowess and the ability to to rebound and become a contender once again. Uh, so you go there. Yeah, you know Cincinnati may be going into new waters with the Big Twelve, but let's be honest, there's still a degree of a ceiling there. Whereas Wisconsin has technically no ceiling. They run for the, the table. Yeah, they run the table. They're in lines for a national for, for a CFP national championship. So I, there, there's a higher ceiling at Wisconsin versus Cincinnati. Who's, who's always going to play second fiddle to Ohio state. Always. I mean, it's UCF's always going to play second fiddle to Florida. They have a hundred year head start. Uh, You know, Cincinnati may have, you know, been around in the early days of Ohio state, but let's be honest, the series is 15 to two. And the last time Cincinnati beat them was in the 1800s. Uh, so I, mean, they're always going to play second fiddle. You're in Wisconsin. Now you are the top dog and there's plenty of guys out there who play football. It's a different style, but you know what? That's fickle style. It fits him perfectly. It's heavy on defense. It's big beef on the line. That's what he wants. And that's what he's going to get up there. It's, I think it's a perfect match and and I'm thrilled for him. You know, I remember his year at Ohio state, he struggled, Uh, but you know what? It's, it's a good place for him to go. Now the question is, where does Cincinnati want to go after this?
0: Well, one of the names out there is one Dion Sanders, interestingly enough. And also interestingly enough, Dion has been mentioned in connection with the South Florida job that's also open.
1: Well, let's, um, let's throw one thing in there. He only played baseball in one of those cities.
0: Fair. Uh, he did play for four seasons with the Reds which is as many seasons as he played anywhere else. He also played four seasons with the Braves. Uh, hold on. Where did the,
4: where did the, uh, where did the Reds do spring training?
0: Uh, that would be Tampa. Well, actually Arizona. At
1: the time, time it was in time? Florida. Now it's in Arizona.
0: Okay. okay. Just checking. Just yeah.
1: Yeah. It's a um, good year Arizona now, but it used to be in Florida. Most recently in Sarasota, Florida.
0: I, I, I guess, I guess my other question is like, What's the more fun destination for Deion Sanders, USF or Cincinnati?
1: Well, if you want to He's also in the mix Cincinnati. for Col-
0: He's also in the mix for Colorado, we should say. Yeah. Reportedly. If you want
1: to win but- and and go somewhere and have a real stepping stone job, which these are all going to be stepping stone jobs. You go to Cincinnati, uh, the ceiling is way higher. Uh you're, you're you're assuming a product that's not completely broken. Uh you already have an athletic and school administration that has Put resources behind the program uh, and has a history a recent history of doing so you know they they've been bailed they ponied up to pay you know luke fickle to, to stick around so they'll 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 pay and they've already got infrastructure so there's less of a curve of trying to rebuild a program so south florida is a tough job to walk into you're walking to a very tough situation uh you know you you have a bad a bad team you have an academic, you know, you have administration that has not historically supported you in a very long time. So I that's it's it's who wants to really deal with that? So I, I think Cincinnati is his best opportunity. Colorado is kind of in between. It's a harder rebuild than Cincinnati, but you're gonna be in a power five conference. You know, both of those are P5 jobs. That's what Dion's looking for. That's what he wants. The only thing that keeps USF on the table is the fact it's located in Florida. And you can recruit a certain type of athlete there. But I mean, if I was him, I'd be looking. I'd be looking at Cincinnati as the, as the best job and easiest job to go to the next level.
0: Dion at Jackson State, by the way, sixteen and five. You know where Dion? Uh, people, everyone remembers, obviously, Dion went to Florida State. Remember where he went to high school? Where he's from? Actually, no. <laughs> I don't know much about him personally. Fort Myers. Huh. Mm. Yeah. Born and raised in Fort Myers. Went to uh, North Fort Myers High School. I've, so I've been to
1: North Fort Myers High School before.
0: And, yeah, there you go. So, there's that. Just pointing that out there. By the way, what do we think of Brent Key at Georgia Tech? I felt like he deserved it. I, I, you know, he, you know, to, it, it, the, the, you saw, I saw the video with the reaction of the players with the AD sort of announcing that he was their head coach that they were dropping the interim tag the players really love him and and they fought uh, for him and they and yes i think i I, that that told me a lot about they may not
1: be the best team he may not be the best coach but the players you know there's loyalty there they fought for him and and i know one of the sticking points with willie fritz is he wanted to coach the championship game this week i thought it was a little odd that georgia tech kind of pulled the trigger when they did. Because from what I understand, that was actually a sticking point. Uh, You know, normally when your team's in a conference championship or or a coach that you're aiming for, you wait. You know, Nebraska waited before Scott Frost. You know, word got out during the game. So, I mean, it wasn't like the players heard it and and a meltdown happened. No, they they waited. Uh, So the fact that Georgia Tech pulled the trigger early on this kind of caught me a little bit off guard, you know, Frankie, Key, 11 year assistant under George O'Leary at UCF. Yeah. Obviously, we know what happened in 2015, but a little bit of time, you know, he worked for, for Nick Saban, you know, at Alabama after that. You know what? This is not the same guy. This is not the same coach. And I kind of poo poo when he was uh, named interim coach because of our experience at UCF. That's biased. But the truth is, he's not the same coach that he was during his time at UCF. We obviously seen him evolve and grow. I mean, come on, you're, you're, you're working on your Nick said, and you're going to learn your stuff. You're, you're going to really, you know, learn another way of doing things. And, and you know what? He, he did well with a bad team at Georgia tech four and four had two went ranked wins. That's big. That's a good foundation yeah. for a tough job because Atlanta, Inclu- you're, including
0: in his first game right after they lost to UCF.
1: Yeah. You're in Atlanta. You're not the number one team in your own market. That's yeah. always a challenge. We know that firsthand.
0: Right. All right. Well, it's gonna be a really this is gonna be a fun coaching offseason no doubt. Uh, it's about called the it.
1: silly season for a reason. Yeah, I do gonna, want to throw and, one more thing. Yeah. Uh, Brent Key is an alum of Georgia Tech, which I think is also another reason why that was really a factor, and I think, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's another thing is he he is a tech guy. And, and and that
0: carries that carries weight at a school like Georgia Tech. It does. It always it doesn't always carry the same weight in certain schools, but at Tech that matters.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's a loyalty aspect. I think you're also hiring to keep the guy. Now uh, I, I had no doubt that Willie Fritz would would have stayed for a while if if hired there. You know, he's he's stuck it out at Tulane longer than than many should, and we all know that. True the two lane fighting Fritz's are, are scrappy. That's what Willie Fritz teams are all about is that scrappiness, which would have fit well at Georgia tech. But you know what? I think Brett key is the right man at the right time at the job for this point.
0: All right. Well, that takes us to UCF volleyball. As where you talk about the right team at the right time, a team that in my opinion has flown under the radar all season. And finished the regular season 27 and one with an RPI of 17. As we bring Bryson in to talk a little bit more about the Knights, the uh, they got it done on Thanksgiving weekend. They, they, it went to the, the conference championship went to the final match against Houston. Uh, UCF got the victory, but in five, which means they share the regular season conference championship and were able to hoist the type, the, the, the trophy, but due to the tiebreaker, Cincinnati, which is which went to overall sets between in the two matches between the two teams. Cincinnati uh beat UCF in four up in Cincinnati. This match went to five, so Cincinnati wins that uh by a uh five to four uh margin. Houston. Cincinnati got the automatic bid. Uh, say that again, Bryson. I'm sorry, you're
4: saying Cincinnati, it's Houston. Oh, did I say oh. All right,
0: I'll <laughs> restart that. All right, three. Sorry, it's gone, Jeff. Deal with that. Uh, it's, it's, it's no, hard. no, no. I'm going to no. I've to restart that. So three, two, one. So that takes us to volleyball, who finished season 27-1, 17 in the RPI. They, they, they got the job done in the final match against Houston, uh, winning in five. But because the tiebreaker was total sets, Remember, Houston beat them in four back on October the 7th, so 5-4 to Houston. Both teams share the conference championship because there's no tournament, but Houston gets the automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. Nonetheless, UCF was a a lock to get in, and they are in Happy Valley uh, right now to face uh, Yale in the first round, uh, and then they would play the winner of UMBC and Penn State. In the second round. Postseason awards, UCF uh got them all over the place. Four first teamers for the American, McKenna Melville, Amber Olson, no surprise. Abby Hanson, who I thought had a magnificent year, uh really brought out some new things in the offense. Claudia Dillon, who s- stepped up again, and then one second teamer, Kari Zumak, who I think was a tremendous addition uh for this team as well. McKenna Melville obviously won player of the year. Uh, Amber Olson won setter of the year. Um and here they are at 27 and one, Bryson Turner, uh, getting ready to take on Yale, a team that, uh, you know, we talked about like, you know, flying under the radar. Yale flew under the radar this year. They won the Ivy League 23 and two, 13 and one in the conference. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, well, their only two losses were at Florida State uh, and at Princeton. These two teams share a common opponent. Both UCF and Yale beat Syracuse earlier this year. Yale is third in the country in aces percent, fifth, more importantly, fifth in the country in opposing hit percentage allowed at 147. UCF comes in 13th in the country in that category, but third in the country in uh, offensive hit percentage at 317. So, um, this kind of echoes like that high point match a couple of years ago during the during the COVID year, Bryson, where, you know, we have a team. It, if you're not careful, they will get you.
4: Oh, yeah. I, I'm, well, Dajanae said something very interesting when we talked to him at the selection show watch party, which you can watch in full on the Black and Gold Banneret YouTube channel, he mentioned that in the NCAA tournament that the numbers in the regular season in a sense don't matter. You can have a leading offensive team that could hit like, like 50 or 150 hitting percentage in one particular match. In this instance, the numbers are telling us that these are two very good defensive teams going up against each other. Top 15 in opposing hitting percentage And so it's really, but there's an offense that's going to prevail here and it's going to be interest intriguing to see how they kind of feel each other out in that game. Now that said, with a potential match against Penn state, the next day, if you win, which is a big 10 team, and we all know how big, big 10 volleyball is, you really want to try to put Yale away in the least amount of time possible if you're uc if you're ucf volleyball
0: yeah. um that obviously you want to try and handle yale i mean i i personally am like okay yeah i get that but like it's a tournament everyone's good like handle them any way you can penn state 24 and 7 this year 13 and 7 in the conference which means they were 11 and 0 outside of conference they actually won their first 12 matches um including wins uh, at Iowa state home against West Virginia at LSU at Stanford uh, or, or rather, or rather uh, I should say at a neutral site against Stanford and Oregon, um, they come in, you know, obviously one of the bigger teams in the country 11th in blocks per set, you know, their numbers are kind of skewed because they're playing, you know, all big 10 opponents anyway. Um, but that's the big prize and that's you know assuming UCF is able to get through this Ivy League champion Yale team um they're likely going to face Penn State in another situation similar to last year where they had to face UCLA at Pauley Pavilion. one of the one of the countries again one of the countries not just traditionally but overall better teams but I get the feeling though Bryson that Penn State can be had here what, what did the uh it, did did anyone give any hints to that when you talked to them or were they just no 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 man we're I don't want to talk about that we just want to talk about Yale.
4: Well, Daigne did say that he liked this draw I, or at least where they're playing a lot better than the UCLA draw for and I think for a couple of reasons. One, the time zone difference. That's yeah. gotta be huge for him because that's gotta be huge for him because jet lag is real. The, secondly, it's in his
0: back old
4: backyard in the Big 10. And yeah. so he coached in
0: Michigan state as an assistant prior to coming to UCF.
4: Correct. And so he's familiar with the environment. So I think that this one is a, I think, I think that perhaps this will be a lot better because they're going, they're going to be more, at least for Dagenet, it'll be a little more familiar with him going, going in there. Of course, the big 10 atmosphere, a little familiar for McKenna Melville growing up in Minnesota. Yep. So the, um, I will say with Penn State, there's a, a bit of a difference between them and Yale is that while their opponent hitting percentage is 80th in the country, but like you said, Big 10 teams kind of skew that, they are fourth in the country in team total blocks. So that so those blockers will definitely be something that they're going to look out for. But I do think that this is going to be a scenario where you we, we have McKenna Melville. Everybody knows that. And this is going to be a really big... We well, have McKenna-Melville and you don't. Right. But there's going to have to be other players that are going to step up. They, you know, Dash and talked about how the UCF and Houston match, that felt like an NCAA tournament match. That matchup it had did. 1566 people in there, which is more than the Miami match, which we said back in September was the second highest regular season attendance at the venue. This The Houston game beat that. And in that matchup, while McKenna-Melville still got 29 kills... Claudia Dillon still needed to have the offensive game of her career to help get that win. She finished with 18 kills. She never had higher than 11 in a single match before this. So yeah. people Cla- so people like Claudia Dillon or Kari Zumok or Abby Hansen, there's going to need to be somebody that needs to step up big time in these NCAA tournament games, especially if they end up going against Penn State with the blockers that they have.
0: Uh, Penn State's head coach, by the way, uh, Katie schumacher Cauley, who uh, she took over, this is her first season at Penn State, took over for Russ Rose, of course, who has, co- who has coached Penn State volleyball for forever, won a bunch of national titles, including four in a row at one point. Um, she, was the, she was an associate head coach at Penn State uh, for three years uh, prior, to, uh, tr- prior to becoming the head coach uh, at Penn State uh and uh this is by the way interesting note about penn state there has never been an ncaa tournament that they have missed they've been to every single one 42 in a row so uh but the question is what do they do against ucf we will find out the first serve for ucf against yale will be friday 5 p.m at rec hall and state college um, I don't see any TV on this, but I imagine it's going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Yes, uh, all,
4: all ESPN, ESPN platforms will be carrying all of the NCAA tournament.
0: Right, gotcha. And then uh, if UCF defeats Yale, then they would play. There's no day off. They would play the following day, uh, that Saturday. So that could be a, boy, oh, boy, that could be a busy Saturday for us. Uh, if UCF get, gets through to play Penn State and then obviously the conference championship game on Saturday as well as we uh wrap it up here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast on what will be a busy weekend. We're gonna be deciding championships. We're, we've got uh we got the NCAA tournament, we've got basketball coming up. It's gonna be busy you can follow it all on black and You can follow us on social media as well, Facebook.com slash black and gold UCF banner at underscore SBN on Twitter, follow us individually. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon Kyle, who was on earlier, was at the SOTG drew stat boy, drew it's Bryson Turner. Also Eric Lopez, Elo and all of our great photographers are also on Twitter as well as, as well as Instagram black and gold banner uh, And if you subscribe to this podcast, we appreciate you leave us a reading. If not, please do subscribe to the podcast and share it with a UCF friend of yours. Uh as well. And of course, don't forget our YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash black and gold banneret. Wow. We got through that in a hurry. <laughs> there was and there was a lot to talk about too, but I, I'm excited for it. what are we thinking, guys, this Saturday, man? This is this is it, right? We got football, we got volleyball. Hopefully they get through the first round. They play. I mean, it's gonna be this might be the biggest weekend of the of the year so far, no?
1: Uh I mean. It could be. Let's see how it rolls Way out. Way to be
0: enthusiastic about that one, Drew. I mean I'm
1: mean, I'm actually thinking of like can any weekend actually beat that? And I I had to think back on it.
0: Uh I mean maybe if know. there's a big weekend regular season football game or, or maybe like a basketball with like a big baseball opponent.
1: I don't know. The you know? uh the you know that that whole Reed softball regional was was pretty big.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I, I was I, it wasn't so much I was dismissing it. I was trying to think back of what else could could actually match up with it. Uh, but again, either, you know, either you're the goat or you're the goat as, as George O'Leary used to say, if, if you lose, eh, if you win, yay, you know, great move, great move. So we'll <laughs> see how this weekend plays out. Yep. I'll say this.
4: Imagine if both the football team and the volleyball team get to play Penn State in the postseason. I know you said there's less storylines than the Tennessee game, but I think as far as a full UCF athletics standpoint, if both UCF volleyball and football play Penn State, that'd be kind of cool.
1: Only if they win. If they lose both, then it's a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: I see where you're coming from, Bryson. I want the Vols.
1: Oh, no, me
4: too. I'm just saying. I want the Vols. It's not, it's not a completely. It's not a complete loss if it ends up not going
0: our, if well, not going our way. You know, hey, let's, listen, First, thing, first things first. Let's get through Friday volleyball. Let's get through Saturday football, and then we can talk about even further more postseason. After that, for all of us here at the Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon. Saying thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Bryson. Thank you, Kyle. Go Knights! Nice, charge on. Enjoy this Saturday. If you're traveling up to New Orleans, be safe up there. Have fun. Bring home a duck.